11 to 1, Monday Motivation. Motivation. Yes, at age 13, my next guest found herself homeless. At age 14, she discovered she was pregnant. However, despite her circumstances, she was determined to have a better future for her and her son, Liam. After giving birth, she went straight back to her studies, sitting her junior certificate exams. She gained a spot in third level education via an access programme for single mothers living in care. She completed an undergrad degree in accountancy and finance, eventually getting a master's and is now an assistant manager with PwC, Ireland's largest professional services firm. She always wanted to give something back and so in 2018 was inspired to set up her non-profit organisation Empower the Family supporting single parents and children. She sits on the board of directors for Chartered Accountant Supports. She won the JCI Dublin Tenants Standing Young Persons Award. This lady is truly amazing and can get, certainly give us all a lesson in how to overcome adversity, how to flourish and achieve anything you put your mind to. She really is an inspiration and I'm delighted to welcome Deborah Samarin, inspirational speaker social entrepreneur and founder of Empower the Family. How are you doing, Deborah? Thank you. Yeah, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. I was listening to you saying all that and I was like, is she talking about me? <laughs> <laughs> I certainly am talking about you, that is for sure. But, but you know, life wasn't always this, this rosy for you. You know, at an age when most teenagers are concerned with meeting friends or trying to get homework done or whether a boy fancies them or not, you at age 13 find yourself homeless. I mean, I don't think I could even get over that trauma at age 35, never mind 13. How did you deal with this at such a young age? I think the interesting thing is exactly what you said there in terms of like, you do still have all of those things going on for you because you are still a teenager, you know? You still have the things of like worry while you're going through this horrible thing. You do still have the things of worrying about like the same things your friends are worrying about. Does a boy like me? You know, makeup, wearing the right colour, nail varnish, all of these things. But I suppose for me... um, it was a situation I'd found myself in probably within the space of three years. Everything I knew had just completely deteriorated and everything I knew was just completely different. Um, I'd grown up in a very kind of normal, like, you know, family, had mom, dad, had um, my siblings and um, went to school every day, like those types of things. And my parents split up and my life just got, like all of our lives just got completely turned upside down. And um, my mom really wanted to try and stand on her own two feet and she left my dad and um, moved moved here and she was going through depression so she had a lot of mental health issues that she was going through like if I saw my mom come out of her room to bring us to school or something it was a special occasion we were very mm-hmm. much so all kind of sending for ourselves but that was because she was going through so much that honestly looking after herself wasn't something she was capable of never mind looking after the rest of us um, in particular, me, um, we'd always, you know yourself, mums and daughters. You know, There's a bit of a clash, lockheads. yeah, yeah. Exactly. And, you know, my dad, I'd always been a daddy's girl. So, you know, I could always run, run behind my dad if, if the physical abuse ever got too bad. Um, and when we moved here, we didn't have my dad anymore. So I didn't have anyone to run behind anymore, you know, and it got really, really bad. So I suppose one of the things in terms of being in care and being in homeless accommodation, while it might sound... Um, like this, it was a very scary and a very um, dehumanizing experience going through the system. However, I was safe, and for me, that was something that was that kept me going because at least I was safe. At least if I um, missed curfew by a minute, I wasn't going to get beaten up if I got home. Like those types of things. So mm. for me, it was 
at least I'm six, you know. Yes. Um, and, you know, I was just a normal teenager and it was just um, that it, it was just that my mom was going through too much to be able to look after me. And so I was very appreciative as well of people I stayed with and people that took me in and um, people that, that, that showed me kindness while I was going through all of that, 100%. Yeah, because there's so many people and I definitely want to touch on them as well. But, you know, you, you're you're homeless, you're in the, this, the care system then eventually and uh, things are relatively settling down for you as much as they can do when you're, when you're living in care. But you're discovered then that you are 14 and there's very little family support. So this must have been overwhelming. I mean, what was going through your mind when those two little pink lines came up on a on a pregnancy test at 14? Oh, I'm pretty sure I was in denial until I actually gave birth to Liam. Like when I gave birth to Liam, they, the midwife was joking, she had to literally close my jaw because I just was like, oh my God. It was mm. like the first time it actually sunk in for me that there's a whole human being that I'm going to be responsible for. But I suppose in the back of my mind, I was still preparing for this I didn't know what was going to happen. I was 14. I was absolutely terrified. I had no money. I didn't didn't have a partner, like nothing. Um, I didn't have family support. I just moved into a new care home. So I'd only been in this care home a few months. And honestly, I described the care home as Disneyland. Not that it was, there was anything special about it. It was just a normal home, a normal estate. And I was going to school. And that level of stability and normality was something I'd craved for such a long time and so when I was like at the time the rules of being in care were um, you had to move out if you got pregnant you had to move out mm-hmm. of your mainstream care home and so I was terrified because I'd finally kind of settled in this care home um, and I was now going to have to move into something that I suppose they're still and I'm really sorry for using the term but they're still called mother and baby homes yeah, the, yeah that is the reality mm. so to be able to everything I'd heard from other people who had lived in them um, or people who were friends or people who had lived in them was that like, you know, social care workers, the first time you screw up, you're going to have your baby taken off you, that type of thing. Mm. I'm sure that's terrifying for anyone at any age. Like when you're when you're pregnant, this is something I've learned, whether you're 30, 40, 14, yeah. it's absolutely <laughs> terrifying. Yeah. And you have a notion what you're going to be doing. No matter how many books you read, like there's nothing that can actually prepare you for being a mom. So thinking about being in an environment where people are going to be watching you to screw up and when you screw up you get your baby taken off you that was a huge anxiety so my pr- my pregnancy was mainly focused on making sure that I had the right place to live in when my baby came mm. um, so you're kind of in like you're just in uh, what's the word like auto mode if that yes, makes sense you're, yes. doing. you're not actually thinking about it you're just trying to survive um, I was in survival mode essentially yeah at that time and very luckily the people who lived in it, who owned the care home I lived in incredible people Kieran Marjoram um, and a, a man called Alan Buckley was the manager of the care home and he went to the, the people who owned the care home they owned other ones and they said listen can we convert this one into a mother and baby home so that Debbie can stay we can support her to learn how to be a mom learn how to juggle being a mom while being in school all of those things and they said yes and that's a level of kindness that was just you know they didn't need to do that for me they were going to lose money doing that because obviously there's a lot less you know mothers and babies Mm. that they were going to be able to get into their their care home but it was for them it was the right thing to do and I'm so thankful to them they're basically my second parents to this day Um, and yeah they're incredible and I suppose that level of going above and beyond to try and give every single young person as close to a normal upbringing as possible is just to the core who they are and how they run their care homes and I was just very lucky to end up in a care home that was looking at me as an individual as opposed to you know, oh, sorry, there's a, you know, yeah. as opposed to going, right, sorry, you're going to get swallowed up by the system. 
you know, kind of way, our, mm. our hands are tied. They really went above and beyond to kind of try and try and do what was do do the right thing. And, and I'm so thankful for that. Um, and it goes to the core of, of everything I'm doing, especially now in part of the family. Absolutely. And had you not had these people that, you know, saw something in you, saw potential, didn't treat you like another statistic, was that vital, do you think, in, in that time in your life? Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is like one of the things I talk about in, in my talks whenever I do diversity and inclusion talks. I'm like, it's actually nothing to do with visible or invisible differences or anything like that. I just preach compassion, compassion for people, um, you know, that are that are around you, people that you interact with, um, which can be quite hard for us to do because we're all going through our own stuff. But it takes, it, it just takes a little bit. I, I genuinely find that if I'm, if I'm trying to be, um, unhelpful like mm. it's more draining for me and um, to say sorry that's not my problem because I'm going to go home with it I'm going to sit with it I'm going to think oh my god I should have done more of this thing so if I just take two minutes to do the compassionate thing and um, it absolutely it makes me feel so much better and I've made a massive difference in somebody else's life um, and yeah that was that yeah. for me I thankfully coming across people who had that time same same kind of feeling absolutely is, is what is what has led me to to be surviving now like I honestly couldn't tell you if I would even be alive now if it wasn't for them that's how that's the way that my life was going you know Mm. and and I wasn't making good decisions even though thankfully when I got into that house I was in school but you know I still had a lot of stuff going on with my mom all the stuff going on so that was the last place you want to be as well this is something we're hearing with like the kids go in, in homeless hostels. Mm. Like it's absolutely horrific. But like you're living there two, three years. Of course your motivation for school goes down. Especially if your homeless hostel is like three hours away from where your school even mm. is. You know, you're wrecked by the time you even get to the get to school in the morning. So it's at that level of compassion of just trying to do the right thing it's just it's incredible and it, it 100% it changed my life Now you know you're, t- you're, t- you're touching on some of it there you know like in terms of the, the people that are living in homeless accommodation today and like that you know being demotivated for school I mean what is it like I can relate like a tiny bit to trying to study and being mum to a young baby. I had family support and I was in my 20s when I was doing this. You were 14, you know, you're, you're trying to study for exams and do the junior cert, which you did after giving birth to Liam. Like you're dealing with a screaming baby, you're trying to study. How did you even compartmentalise all this and even have the headspace to sit the exam? Again, like I suppose I, well, one of the things I was very lucky about was the care home I was in, like, they really wanted to keep me in school. So whatever support that they could give me to make sure I stayed in school, was that was core to who they are. And I lived there till I was 18 before I moved out. So I'd already had, I had I gave birth to me when I was 15, I was pregnant when I was 14, but I'd already had three years of that level of support so that when I moved out to go to college then, I was, I, I knew how to do the juggle, if that makes sense. And yeah. it doesn't mean I did the juggle well. <laughs> it just means I did the juggle. It was. It took a village. It was like, you know, which one of my friends is not going to the ball? Great. Can you please babysit? So I can, you know, yes. like, literally took a village. It took a juggle. Um, and, and just having just literally like neighbours and everything, like whoever you can get to help out that is a trusted friend and, you know, has, has kids as well. You just have to figure it out. But um, I suppose one of the things that they did for me, for example, was they gave me seven hours babysitting a week. Um, and 
that was because I was being really stubborn initially. I was like, no, I'm doing everything by myself. And mm. obviously, then I realized I need to speak, so take the help, um, which I think is a lesson every new mum has yes, to learn. Yes, everyone um, should, yes. <laughs> and so they gave me seven hours babysitting a week. So that meant that, like, you know, if Liam had gotten his needles or something, he was up all night, then I could come down and, you know, in, in the morning before school, 6am or something and be like can you actually please mind them for two hours while I get a little bit of sleep yeah. before school things like that that just made all of the difference or listen I or I put them into crash very very early on probably was about three months old at that stage just because I had to because yeah, of course. I, I was in school mm. and um, I'd be like okay I'm going to stay back and actually do an extra hour of study do you mind picking them up for me so that you know we'd get home at the same time I'd use an hour for babysitting for that and they would happily do it so they were incredible they genuinely were incredible like I couldn't I couldn't have done it without people being so kind to me they didn't need to do any of that like yeah. they didn't need to do but that they, but they believed in you and this this is what it is you know and like you do, you often describe this time in your life is living in chaos you know you're desperately clamouring to get out of this and your only way out is by studying hard getting your education but what are you telling yourself during this time because I know even when you reached 18 there was fresh challenges to face as well because that means you're out of the care system and you're on your own which is absolutely crazy but what are you saying to yourself to keep yourself going like because it could be very easy to go into a corner and just cry Absolutely, don't know. Did lots of that, but um, <laughs> <laughs> like Liam, my son Liam is just genuinely one of the most amazing souls. Like he changed my life. He absolutely changed my life, and it it just gave me a level of focus and determination to make sure he didn't have the same chaotic life that I did and I knew that education was the only way the only way I was going to be able to give him a life that was in any way stable Um, and that was for me anyways based on any skills that I have Um, and and that was that that was what I needed to do it was that simple Um, Mm. so I just had to keep going you just I I use this like saying which is from Finding Nemo just keep swimming like I love that no matter how no matter how hard it gets, you know, anyway, you just have to keep going because especially like that was its own challenge. But then when I went into, when I started working and doing my professional exams, sure, I was doing busy season, doing crazy hours. Plus I was being a mom, plus I was doing exams. You know, anyway, that was, yes. it brought its own challenges. Um, and it was easy to go, do you know what, like I've already got the job, don't need to be so hard with the exams. But you just have to. That's not in your makeup, Deborah. That is not in your makeup. That is for sure. It really isn't, you know. But uh, you decided to give back and you now run Empower the Family, which is just a wonderful organisation. Tell me about this. Yeah, so basically um, we are, I suppose, everything I do now is trying to look at the experiences that I had and if somebody else wanted to do the same thing, how can I make it easier for them? How can I make it that they're doing, that they're crying a lot less, things are a lot less difficult than it needs to be for them? And I suppose for me, when I was moving, going to be moving out of care, accommodation and childcare were things that were insecure for me. I had to really, really fight for support to be able to have a roof over our heads while we were while we were gone and to be able to have childcare. And I suppose these are the things that people don't really think about how hard these services are to actually access for someone who comes from a disadvantaged background. Yeah. Um, and especially now with the homeless crisis, sure, like you can barely get, you can't even get an apartment to rent if you're low in, on low income that is going to match your income, never mind the childcare costs of like a grand a month on top of that. So it's really kind of... It, it's really looking at the issues 
looking at, well, if I was a single mom today and I wanted to go to college, what would I need? I'd mm. need accommodation in childcare. And that's what Empowered Family is doing. We're social, we're Ireland's first social student housing development. And we hope to open in September 2023 in Ballymun, in Dublin, North Dublin, for our first one. And we're working with Dublin City Council on that as a pilot project. I suppose in the long term, what I hope is that we have one in every county in Ireland with a university. And what we're going to be doing in that, <coughs> sorry, in that first location, we'll hire at least 50 people and 20 of them will be single parents in in third level education and 10 of them will be young people who have come out of state care it's purpose built so there's going to be childcare on site that will also be open to people in the community because there's obviously really great research in there around social mixing and I know for myself anyway it's a huge motivator being Mm. in an environment with people who are you know educated themselves Um, so we're very very excited about that and, and that's everything to me that project is everything to me and that's not just me that is just me talking about like the fact that it's possible and um, using my story to get people around the table and get funding around the table so that we can actually get this done and there, I suppose what breaks my heart when I did this when I started started looking into this was the amount of research that had been done by different um, different mental agencies and, and different um, support agencies around the fact that single parents were in Ireland were motivated and determined and had the ability to go through university. There were just these barriers, which is a combination yeah. of childcare that were preventing them, and that was really heartbreaking to be, yes. to be honest with you. Um, and I, 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 I don't know how you could. I, I couldn't. I think this is like any entrepreneur when they start something, they see a problem. Mm. I initially went out to people and said, "Will you fix this problem?" And unfortunately, the people that are in there currently supporting single parents in different ways they're too busy fighting the mm, fires that they're mm. dealing with you know and um, to be able to look at this kind of long-term solution so I was like well I'm gonna have to do it myself and, um, and, and, and no better woman for the job and I absolutely <laughs> know that you're gonna absolutely nail this but you know just to, just to finish up with this because we often ask people who do Monday motivation with us to kind of take a little bit of a trip back in time if you could go back to Deborah who is settling down for the night in a homeless hostel. She's frightened and she's alone. Now, you can't change anything about her circumstances, but you can have a word with her about the life she's going to lead. What words of wisdom would you impart to that, Deborah? I think for me, one thing I always dreamt of was having a crystal ball. Um, and whenever I, whenever things were tough, I'm like, oh, I wish I could just see that in ten years' time this is going to be okay. And it was it was just always very hard to to. It was just so much that I was going through that it, 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 I'd give anything to be able to for someone to be able to say to me, it's all going to be okay. Like knowing that it's all going to be okay. People obviously said that at the time to try and reassure you, but at the same time, nobody knew that you know anything mm. could have happened, and um, that would have. That, that would have um, diverted me from the course I was on. And so um, I think genuinely all I would say to her is, is everything is going to be okay. And that would honestly mean the world to me. Um, yeah, in a million years, I didn't think I could get here. In a million years, I didn't think I'd get my chartered accounting exams. In a million years, even when I was doing them, even when I was like, right up, even though I got my degree and master's, even right up to doing the final exams, I was still going, there's no way I'm going to get them. You know, I yeah. always doubted myself. Um, so yeah, I think just someone saying to me that 
um, everything's going to be okay um, would, would, would make a massive difference to that 14 year old um, absolutely well, and, and everything absolutely is going to be okay let me tell you Deborah. listen it has been absolutely wonderful having you on the show thank you so so much for joining us and bringing us Monday Motivation today Con- keep your up your good work with Empower the Family and I know you're going to be speaking this week as part of um, the Enterprise uh, Week as well Stepping Up and Driving Change Network Loud Celebration of International Women's Day that is happening on uh, Thursday night I think is it? It is indeed. It's happening on Thursday as part of Local Enterprise Week. And it's uh, 7.30pm, the Mill Enterprise Centre in Drogheda. Listen, Deborah, thank you so, so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Sinead. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.